Hello and welcome to the Other Kind of Doctor podcast. My name is Gemma. And my name is Gaia and we are both on the journey of gaining a PhD. A quick disclaimer before we start. We are in fact the academic kind of doctors. Well, nearly doctors. Yes, nearly doctors. But we're not your medical kind of doctors. So if you do need medical attention, please contact your GP. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of the Other Kind of Doctor podcast. Yay! Yay. How do you feel? Episode two? We made it to episode two. We made it to episode two. I didn't think it was possible. (laughs) We also, like, we're really sorry if we sound different this week. Hopefully we don't, but our lovely sound technician, Ryan, is poorly. So we've had to kind of muddle through and do it ourselves. We did video call him. We did. (laughs) I wish we didn't have to. Poor Ryan. Um, Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, so... So if we sound different and like we're underwater, just try not to judge. But hopefully it's okay. Yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So what did you do this week? This week, it's been stressful, actually. I'm preparing for my upgrade and I'm also finalising my first author publication which is exciting fancy well it, it might not be published yet but i'm submitting it to a paper for the first and that's time that's good enough that's good enough in my books i'm also marking undergrad exams which is lovely no it's horrible but we've, it's one of the things you have to do when you teach yeah so. if you're an undergrad it's not your exams that are horrible it's just the process of it it's just the process and the fact that we have to mark like 90 of them and it's yeah intense if you are an undergrad please try to write uh clearly in your in-person exams <laughs> please do yeah so other than that i've just been getting into the flow of the new year teaching starts this week when we're recording this so i'm mm. teaching my first lab did class you manage to Still stick to your New Year's resolutions after last week's topics. Oh, Gemma. I have been, I've been making more realistic goals. So what's your Goodreads goal for this year? My Goodreads goal, overambitious. I've gone for like 25 books. Oh, that's right. I thought you were about to say like 50. Oh, no, hang on. No, not 25, about 35. If you do not have Goodreads, please download it. Yeah, if you if you like reading, Goodreads is a great app. Anyway, we're getting off track again. <laughs> yes. Um, um, uh, what have you been up to this week, Gaia? Mainly coding, analysing data. Not fun. I mean, a bit fun. Okay, so what are we talking about today, Gaia? Everyone's favourite topic, toxic productivity. Yeah, I feel like toxic productivity is a big thing at the moment. It's very hyped up on social media as well and just in academic culture in general. For those of you who don't know what toxic productivity is, we have looked up a definition. So I'm just going to read that. (laughs) The toxic productivity is the drive to be productive at all times, not just at work, but in all areas of life. It happens when you push yourself to unhealthy extremes in order to accomplish more, often at the expense of your physical and mental health. This is likely to lead to feelings of guilt that you're not doing enough. Toxic productivity is very familiar to everyone in academia. As studies have found that it's actually more prevalent in academia than anywhere else. Really? Yeah. Well, everyone in academia takes their job really personally because mm. it's your own very, very tiny niche piece of research. And you really want to succeed. You're really competitive in getting grants, internships, whatever you need to get. And this leads to working extra hours. 
and therefore poor work-life balance. And as we were talking about last week, academics are often perfectionists. Mm. So we usually tend to work longer hours just so that everything is exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, that resonates with me a yeah. lot. I, I do think that maybe the word toxic productivity hasn't been around very long, but the feeling that academics need to work more than other people, I do think is... I think as well with academia, there isn't really any set hours. Mm. So you're not necessarily going to the office and working 9 to 5, especially with a PhD. Yeah, and it's good in a way because maybe you can go to Pilates at 4pm. Yeah. But in another way, you can also work, work until 2am. And yeah. people will reply to emails at 2am sometimes. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got their own timetable, so whatever fits around yeah. when you're doing. But I feel like because it's so flexible, you can just end up working all the time and not really setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like we've already touched on this, but why is toxic productivity bad? It's really it's good that we're getting everything done. Right, Gaia? Are we getting everything done or are we just killing ourselves? (laughs) Possibly. So research has found that working too much, i.e. being productive but overproductive, can impact your sleep as you're working all the time. It can impact your relationships with friends, family, just because you're spending all your time working or all your time having to be productive rather than unwinding and doing things that you enjoy. And stress as well, I feel like, because you're have such a high expectation of yourself that you need mm-hmm. to be getting everything done, obviously that's going to lead to you being more stressed. And feel really guilty when you're not doing something. Yeah. And then you're not properly unwinding because you're mm-hmm. feeling guilty. So even if you're, I don't know, sitting down to watch a movie with someone or just by yourself, you're going to be feeling guilty because you're watching a film not doing what you should be doing. And um, still thinking about your research at all times. Stu- yeah. I feel like that's normal with PhD students, but to a point. Yeah. All of this mental health stress can lead to physical health implications as well. So for those of you who aren't psychology-based, because I forget, not everyone is constantly reading about psychology, but your mental health and your physical health aren't completely separate. They're completely intertwined. So when you are feeling stress, that does have physical implications on your body. And then it can also lead to general burnout as well, which I feel like we could do a whole other episode on. Yeah. But just if you don't know what burnout is, it's physical and emotional exhaustion from work and, and other demands that you have in your, li- in your life. So it's like when you're trying to work and you can't physically open the document because you can't do it. Mm, Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. So I guess it would be good to talk about our experiences of toxic productivity. Yeah, Um, I know you're a pro at it. (laughs) Yeah. I think anyone that knows me that's listening to this podcast will be like, yeah, that's Gemma, because she always has a hundred things to do. So I'm probably sound like a hypocrite in this podcast but I think for me when toxic productivity hit a peak was in my second year and I think I know from PhD students I've spoken to when you hit your second year you have like this dawning feeling like oh my goodness I have so much to do oh my god it's real it's actually real and I've got to produce this thesis and I've got so much to do and as I hit my second year I was taking on this really big project in my PhD my biggest study And I was using a lot of different techniques I wasn't familiar with and a lot of coding and really complex materials and programs I needed to learn. And it was really overwhelming. And I felt, okay, the only way I can understand this is if I push myself so much and try and learn everything all in one go, all at the same time. How did that go? 
Not great, to be honest. <laughs> because I was pushing myself all the time, even when I thought I was switching off, I thought I needed to be productive in other things as well. Because I was like, okay, well, if I'm not doing my PhD stuff, I need to be doing something else productive, like cleaning the house, doing whatever, like so having like chores, other life stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't relaxing and constantly trying to be productive. Yeah, remember when you woke up during the night because you had dreamt how to solve your code and it actually yeah. worked? It did actually work. It was yeah. impressive. It was impressive, but I think I was just constantly switched on. I wasn't relaxing. Even when I was sleeping, I wasn't yeah. relaxing. I was like waking up. I'm like, oh, I know how to do that bit of code. And I got up and scribbled <laughs> on a bit of paper. And I think I forgot the importance of thinking time in a PhD. Like you don't always have to be working on something, even just sitting down and, and just pondering or thinking about things is <laughs> pondering pondering yeah really like stoic position like putting your hand on your yeah hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and also this eventually led to burnout um and no. I, you know, <laughs> really <laughs> yeah so I ended up taking two weeks off and I just spent those two weeks doing nothing oh I remember that it sounded beautiful it was I spent two weeks doing nothing because I physically couldn't do <laughs> I it I was anymore. working on my upgrade and Gemma was just like reading my book (laughs) Uh, I just spent some time really reflecting and understanding what went wrong as in why I literally couldn't open my laptop I was so physically burnt out and it was definitely due to toxic productivity what about you well I'm also really good at it (laughs) but I'm getting better I'm managing it so up until I'd say my first year of PhD so since think high school Mm. after my first year of PhD that's what a decade I used to do this thing where if I wasn't productive from, let's say, 7am to at least 9pm, I felt like I hadn't done enough. But that's it also, not good. That's not good at all. But it also had the opposite effect because I was so tired that even in all those hours, I didn't do as much as you think I will do. Mm. But now I've learned that if I do not work during the evening or during the weekends, I used to work during the weekends all the time. And when mm. people were like... I think you need to take a break. I'd be like, oh, you don't understand. Mm. And now, at first, I forced myself not to work in the weekends. And now, I just refuse to open my laptop after Friday night until Monday morning. Mm. Sometimes I feel bad, but then I'm like, don't care. I'm not saving lives. Something that I think is really pushed towards this like toxic productivity culture and it is social media because I have a PhD Instagram account and you always see like videos of people saying, oh, yeah, I worked 12 hours straight or study with me between the hours of yeah. 12 to 4 a.m. And I'm sitting there. Like, I'm not doing enough. How? how, how well, first of all, how? <laughs> I go to bed at nine. How are you up at 12? But I understand people have different working patterns, but there's a trend going around at the moment. It's like how many hours I worked on my PhD this week. It's like Monday, 12 hours. No Tuesday, good. 15 hours. And I'm sitting there like, that's not right. Whatever works for you. And I'm not judging anyone. And obviously it makes more sense if you have a deadline after like, in like two days yeah. and you have to cram something. But after that... Yeah, long term, it's not sustainable. Um, And I think watching and having this pressure that you need to be doing everything and keeping up with other people, PhD projects are completely different as well. Just because Mm -hmm. me and Guy are both in psychology, but our projects are completely different. Our timelines are different. Our studies are different. And I think definitely the social comparison that you have with other PhD students doesn't help with it. 
Agreed. And it's probably going to be similar to everyone else's experience mm. because we heard it from so many people. Yeah. And I think it is a learning thing as well. So being productive is good because last week we spoke about procrastination. Yes. So delaying tasks. <laughs> so surely being productive is good. So how do we tell the difference between normal, I'm being productive and I'm getting my stuff I need to do done and toxic productivity. So what are kind of like the warning signs, I guess? So productivity itself is not toxic. Like completing your work or chores is good, but it becomes toxic when you replace your personal needs with your work needs. So feeling like you kind of have to constantly be doing something to have a purpose, but actually doing nothing is still looking after your well-being. Yeah, just sit down, watch an episode of Girl More Girls, drink coffee. Yeah. Other programs are available. No, they're not. (laughs) Gilmore Girls is the only option. Um, I think kind of the warning signs to understand that when you're kind of going over towards more toxic productivity would be overcommitting to projects, putting quantity over quality. Mm -hmm. So just getting loads of writing done, for example, but that writing might not be great. You're not submitting your best piece of work. And kind of having a hard time disconnecting, like we were saying earlier, me sleeping and dreaming about my (laughs) code that I was writing or not fully switching off would definitely be a sign of toxic productivity, I guess. Yeah, I feel like another type of toxic productivity is, so of course we're going to focus a lot on our PhDs, like on our PhD project, but once it's done and we're trying to get a job, everyone that we're like competing with as a PhD. Mm. So we all try to do so many side projects to add to our CV that at some point it just becomes like ticking off things off a list, even Mm. if they're not really relevant. Mm. So we found this research by Martin et al. 2023, and they proposed, it's a nice acronym, right? So you need to follow these five points when you want to decide whether the side project is worth it. So the R of right is reasons why one should say yes or no. So Gemma does this thing where everyone, (laughs) when someone asks her to do something, she'll just say yes because she doesn't know what to say no. I've got no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I I can say no. No, that is true, to be honest. Totally true. (laughs) When someone's like, Gemma, can you do this? And I'm like... It's like not relevant at all, but she'll be like, yeah... (laughs) Yeah, so it actually got to a point where my supervisor, who's probably listening to this, had to be like, Gemma, is this actually relevant? Like, just think about <laughs> it. And I'm like, mm, I can't say no. But yes, definitely. Going off of the relevant thing, I is, is this opportunity working towards my long-term goals? So Gemma is doing all those side projects just a way to pass the time and feel like you're doing something or is it actually working towards what you want to achieve? You could say that about this podcast, to be honest. I think this podcast... <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> this podcast is actually really good for impact and, mm. and things like that. So I do think that was a good opportunity, but some of the things I have taken up haven't been Agreed. relevant. G, does this have a growth opportunity? Yes, this podcast does have a growth opportunity, yeah. I will say. <laughs> H, how will you fulfill the application given other commitments? Mm. Well... Yeah, balancing your time. So how are you actually going to do it? Does it mean that you're going to have to sacrifice some of the key important personal needs that you have to do this extra Mm -hmm. thing? Do you actually need to do it? Are you going to be working in your evenings and things to get it done? And then finally, T, 
is the timing right? So should you start recording a podcast when you're about to get married and have to organize the entire year? wedding don't know I've got no <laughs> idea what you're talking about for those of you who don't know I'm getting married this year and decided to start a podcast yeah. and, and do a million other things at the same time but the timing is right with this podcast I feel Agreed. like we're ready in terms of your professional career about the first two years of our PhD we wouldn't have been able to do no, a podcast a, be- a because we didn't know enough about doing a PhD do we know enough now more than we did in our first year okay fair enough and yeah we're kind of getting into the flow of it but then certain yeah. things like other side projects that we've been asked to do I, I have had to say no to good job I'm proud of you because it's not right time time wise it'll be alright in a year or so I guess yeah so if you do learn to check all these five items off your list but you're still pressurised to work what should you do? I understand everyone's relationship with their supervisor is different, but I think speaking and communicating with either an advisor on your PhD project, your PGR lead, Mm -hmm. or someone who is more experienced academically, who's able to kind of mentor you into understanding, is that side hustle appropriate at this time? For me, it was my supervisor had to kind of be like, okay, Gemma, you're you're kind of taking on too much. And also having someone set boundaries for you is really helpful if you are in that frame of mind you're having to work all the time it can be really hard to get out of that so having someone else hold you accountable and say do you know what it's friday evening switch off your laptop agreed or you worked in the evening on thursday take friday afternoon off my supervisor was really great at that but i think anyone in your kind of pgr or more senior academic is able to advise phd students on that i agree they run the way more years to train themselves not to work in the weekend. Another good one will be speaking to other people in your PhD community. Obviously, usually people who are further up in the PhD program or also people who are just older than you. Mm. Because even though they might be in, your, in their first year, they must still be better at work-life balance because they've had more to live. Yeah, more life experience. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think speaking to other people in the PGR community... Definitely helps. does help. Even if it's someone just to relate to and be like, oh, I feel like I'm working all the time. And if you are concerned about if you're just being productive or you're being toxically productive, just speaking to other someone else and being like, is this normal? Is it normal that I'm working yeah. 48 hours a week, 50 hours a week? Probably not. Something I do is, because I know that Gemma is also really big on toxic productivity, sometimes it's like 9pm and I text her. Do you think it's good if I just turn off my laptop and read a book? And she'd be like, yes. And then I'd be like, okay, if she said it's fine, then it's fine. Yeah, yeah, helpful mothers is really helpful. I also think, just from my experience, reflecting on how you're spending your time is really good. Uh, obviously, it took getting completely burnt out for me to reflect on how much time I spent on things. But the, a general rule is having you should have eight hours sleep eight hours work and eight hours doing something you enjoy. Obviously, this is flexible, but it's a good starting point Mm -hmm. to try and think about if you're trying to be overproductive or if it's getting to be a problem. Agreed. Key Key advice. advice. So my key advice for toxic productivity would be 
that you are more than just a PhD student. I think it can sometimes feel like your PhD is your whole world and you need to be spending all of your time doing it. But you're also, you know, a friend, a partner. In my case, I'm a dog mom. Four dogs, people. Four dogs. There are other things that I can be doing that isn't PhD related. I've got time. You've got more time than you think, especially if you're working lots of hours over a continuous period of time. It's not sustainable and you will burn out. I saw a really interesting quote from Dr. Will Cole. She um, loves a quote. I love a quote. And he's the author of Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. But he says, if you don't take time to rest, your body is going to pick a time for you that you won't be able to work. So that basically means if you don't choose, okay, I'm going to switch off now, I'm going to take some time to rest, your body will just shut down anyway and you won't be able to do it. And you won't get a choice about when you're going to have to take time off. I think that leads um, nicely on to the importance of setting boundaries with yourself. You might feel like, I know it's Friday at 6pm, I could just spend another couple of hours doing this, but setting boundaries would be like, no, it's Friday, I'm going to switch my laptop off and I'm going to pick Mm -hmm. it up on Monday. And also with others as well. So when people are asking you, oh, Gemma, Gemma always picks up extra projects, (laughs) Um, saying, oh, I'd love to, but I I don't have the capacity at the moment, is okay to say, and it takes practice, saying no. I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah, I haven't learned yet. (laughs) So my piece of key advice was actually not from me. It's from our research and guest lead manager, Courtney. Her quote was, always underestimate what you will be able to get done. And I know it sounds wrong, but actually, so what she means is if you make a really long daily to-do list, you're going to overestimate what you can get done for the day. And then when you get to the evening and you don't have everything done because you overestimated what you will be able to do, you're going to feel guilty and working through the night. So always try to underestimate what you'll be able to do so you won't overwork. Yeah, you can always add to it, can't you? If you manage to get everything done by 3pm, either switch off for the day, that would be nice. Yeah. Or just, you know, add a small task onto mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yeah, I love that. Good yeah. job, Courtney. Good job, Courtney. Brain, Brain Bites. Brain Bites is the last section of our podcast yes. where we talk about some interesting research that we found that week. And it is completely separate to what we've been talking about, but it's just something fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. So what brain bites do we have for today? So when we were thinking about this for this week, I was actually looking at our plant that we have in our office and I was thinking how well our plant was doing. We've actually named this plant. He's called Reginald the <laughs> Second. And he's doing much better than our previous plant, um, Reginald the First. Yeah, Reginald the First was a previous office plant we had yeah. that died, unfortunately. <laughs> But we've got a new plant and he's doing very well. And we actually found some research about the impact of indoor plants on our well-being. Yeah. So the research is a bit contradictory. So don't spend all your money on office plants. Because it Um, might not work. (laughs) If you like them. But research by Thatcher et al. 2020 found that office plants can improve well-being 
But of course, it depends on many factors that we can go into, but stuff like size, species, personal experiences. If you've been bitten by a plant before somehow, <laughs> don't get a plant. <laughs> That's not going to be good for your well-being. No. Yeah, basically, don't get one if you have allergies or ones that are hard to look after. Cause yeah, like Reginald the First. Like Reginald, we were so sad. Yeah, Reginald the First was a difficult plant to get look not after. Not good for well-being. Not good for well-being. But in general, having it can improve well-being. So yeah. if you have either an office space at university or like a, a workspace at home having a little plant there might boost boost your mood if not it just looks green and healthy yeah sometimes sometimes unless you forget (laughs) to water it okay that's everything for today episode two done where can everyone find us Gaia good question Gemma on Twitter Instagram and on our website yep Twitter and Instagram is at other doctor underscore pod and our website is www.theotherkindofdoctor.wordpress.com. Um, that was and, impressive. Yeah, <laughs> typed it in Google enough. So, yeah, we'd really like to hear from you. If you've got any future episode suggestions, have any thoughts about what we've talked about today. Any guests you'd like us to interview. Or if you want to be a guest, mm-hmm. yeah, get in touch. We really want to connect with as many like-minded PhD students as possible or early career researchers anyone like that. As always thanks so much to the Royal Holloway Doctoral School for supporting this podcast. We couldn't do it without you as well as our amazing podcast team. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.